Boker Tov. Good morning. Welcome everybody to the Aliyah Day. I am Rabbi Mordecai Griffin here at Sar Shalom Synagogue located in Saginaw, Texas. And I am most happy, extremely happy to be with you this morning. It is a beautiful Monday. Most people are back to work. Most children are back in school and we are back to the Bible. Let's greet and welcome everybody who is joining us so far. Welcome Rachel from Tulsa, our beautiful daughter watching from uh, Tulsa. Suellen, welcome. Glad you're watching from Oklahoma. Ryan, welcome. I believe from South Africa, right? So, Brugashem. Stephanie, welcome. Watching from California. Dominique from Kansas City. Claire from South Africa. Glad you are with us this morning. Christopher from Denver, Colorado. Welcome, Christopher. Glad you're here. Shem, watching from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma area. Glad you're here. Joy from New Hampshire. Devorah, watching this morning. Robert, glad you're here from uh, Overton, Nebraska. Welcome, Brukashem. Celia, one of our local Lapidniks. Tim, one of our local Lapidniks. And, uh, of course, the Rebetzin, the beautiful Rebetzin. Shoshana, watching this morning. Gabrielle, watching from Germany. From the Deutschland, welcome, uh, Gabrielle. Glad you're here. Amy, welcome. Glad to see you this morning. Juan, glad you are here, Juan. Devorah, watching also from the Tulsa area. Glad you're here. Azariah, welcome this morning. Lynn Joe, glad you're here watching this morning, Lynn. Hadas, one of our local Shalomis, glad you're here. Shimon, the leader of our uh, synagogue there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, glad you are here, Shimon. Raphael, the mighty Raphael, one of our locals, welcome. Yarar, uh, Yarar, excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, I have the, the Pirates of the Caribbean on my mind there. Welcome, glad you're here. Keturah, glad you're here this morning. And uh, who else do we have? Who uh, Joe, glad you are here. Baruch Hashem. Hillel, our Hazan, watching today. Uh, Baruch Hashem. And, uh, of course, the mighty Haver. Look at the mighty Haver. Welcome. Welcome, Haver. Glad you're here. Daniel Town, watching from uh, the Kansas City area as well. Hadassah Bauer, the uh, wife of Shimon there in Tulsa. Glad you're here as well. And, of course, we have Shlomo here at the synagogue watching. He's very local. He's in the other other part of the building somewhere. And Yiska from uh, from Florida. Welcome, everybody. Glad you are here. Elizabeth Jones, bless you, ma'am. Glad you're here. And Rhonda from, from uh, Lake Country, Florida. And Diane Bloom. Wow, look at all these beautiful people. And John from India. Good evening, John. Mandy watching. Aviva watching from uh, one of our local Lapidniks here. Andrew Workman, Nancy, Al, look at all you beautiful people. Dominique, welcome, Estella, Charles and Michelle from our uh, Lapid uh, house in uh, Lower Hudson Valley, New York. And we have Ingrid, who's watching from our Lapid house in Houston. Welcome, Miriam, who's watching from St. Paul, Minnesota. I bet it is a little chilly in St. Paul. Welcome, all you beautiful people. I am glad that you are here with me this morning. Let's look at our reading, shall we? We're in the second reading of the um, uh, book, uh, or excuse me, the uh, power shot, rather, of Vayetze. If you have the art scroll Chumash, we're going to be reading on page 147. We will begin reading in chapter 29. That's uh, Bainting the Wavy for you uh, Sephardic Jews out there who are watching. And uh, verse 1, so here it goes. So Yaakov lifted his feet and went toward the land of the Easterners. So he had been davening at the Mount Moriah, davening at the site of the Holy Temple. 
He has seen the ladder. We're going to come back to some of those insights because um, we just didn't get a chance to share them all yesterday. So uh, anyway, it says he, he's now heading off to his mission. As, as I said yesterday, Hashem was lining him out for what he was called to do. Jacob's mission was to go into exile and, and rescue some holy sparks from Haran. So Jacob lifted his feet and went toward the land of the Easterners. He looked and behold, a well in the field. And behold, three flocks of sheep lay there beside it. For from that well, they would water the flocks and the stone over the mouth of the well was large. And when all the flocks would assemble there, they would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and they would put back the stone over the mouth of the well in its place. And Jacob said to them, My brothers, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. And he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know. Then he said to them, Is it well with him? And they replied, It is well. And see, his daughter Rachel is coming with the flock. He said, look, the day is still long. It's not yet time to bring the livestock in. Water the flock and go on grazing. But they said, we will be unable to until all the flocks will have been gathered and they will roll the stone of the mouth of the well. We will then water the flock. So they're saying, listen, we can't water the flocks yet because we've got to wait for some more guys to show up because this stone is so heavy and so big it requires, um, it requires uh, uh, several of us guys to move it, okay? So while he was still speaking with them, Rachel had arrived with her father's house, for she was a shepherdess. And it was when Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the flock of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came forward and rolled the stone off the mouth of the well and watered the sheep of Laban, his mother's brothers. When a man loves a woman, uh, he can roll a stone that takes several guys to move all by his little self. Now, well, it turns out, actually, as we're going to find out from the commentary, that uh, Jacob was exceptionally strong. In fact, all of uh, the sons of, is of Israel were exceptionally strong. They were like uh, superhero strong. There's an article I read, somebody shared it with me and I shared it with the congregation a, a number of months ago from aish.com uh, and it talks about the fact that most um, of the superheroes that we have um, actually come from Jewish, uh, Jewish resources, Jewish lore as it were. And um, the superhero strength uh, that we read in the comic books actually comes from these some of these sources. Many of the Jewish sources relate that the sons of Jacob were extremely song, strong, and of course Jacob was too. We see that here, that he's rolling the stone away all by himself. So he rolled the stone uh, off the mouth and watered the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel, and he raised his voice, and he wept. Now, <clears throat> seems very romantic, but why is he weeping? Well, there's another backstory to this, that um, when Jacob, we learn that Jacob arrives at Laban's house, and basically he has nothing. He has the clothes on his back and the staff in his hand. And yet, Isaac was an extremely wealthy person, because Abraham had been extremely wealthy, and he left everything in, um, to his sons. 
So the question becomes, why is he weeping? Because he would not have, um, he would not have sent his son to go find a wife. Isaac would not have sent his son, Jacob, to go find a wife and uh, without any dowry, without any money. He would, he just wouldn't have done that. I mean, son, go find yourself a wife and here, take the clothes on your back and just your staff. That's all you need to take. But what happened was, we learned, that what happened was is that uh, Esau had sent his son to kill Jacob in retaliation for stealing the, bla- the blessing. In, his, in, in Esau's mind. And when Esau's son caught up with Jacob, Jacob basically pleaded with him, listen, don't kill me. And so his nephew had a little bit of mercy on him and he decided, you know what? I'm not going to kill you. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take all of your stuff, all of your money, all of your uh, wealth. And because if I do that, then you're as good as dead. Because you won't be able to acquire a wife because you won't have anything. And so I'll go ahead and destroy you, not necessarily physically, but I'll destroy you spiritually because you will not be able to accomplish your mission. That was a very interesting lesson there because sometimes the enemy wants to destroy us um, physically. And then sometimes he wants to destroy us spiritually. He wants us to cause us to not be able to accomplish our mission. And that's what happened here. So what, the reason he's weeping, going back to this, is the reason he's weeping is because he realizes that he has found the woman that he wants to marry, but he cannot properly become engaged to her because he doesn't have anything. So <clears throat> it's like bittersweet moment where you, where you see the goal at hand, but you don't know how you're going to achieve it. That's what's happening here. That's the backstory brought down from the sources. Verse 12 says, Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. Then she ran and told her father. And it was when Laban heard the news of Jacob, his sister's sons, he ran towards him, embraced him, kissed him, and took him to his house. Now we learn that this happened, of course, um, when with Eliezer as well. We learned about that. This same person, Laban, did the same thing when Eliezer came to get his sister, Rebekah. So what was the reason that Laban had run out to, um, uh, to meet this person? It wasn't to greet him necessarily, but to see, hey, how much other stuff do you have? What do you have that I might be able to take? So he ran towards him, embraced him, kissed him, and took him into his house, and he recounted to Laban all these events. Says and Laban said to him, Nevertheless, you are my flesh and blood, and he stayed with him a month's time. Then Laban said to Jacob, Just because you are my relative, should you serve me for nothing? Tell me what are your wages. That's the end of our second reading. So let's share some more insights, shall we, while we have some time to do just that. I want to begin with some Bahaturim here. <clears throat> There's some interesting Bahaturim. Bahaturim is noted for his uh, use of gematria and trying to understand the text. So we see here, first and foremost, I want to go back to the ladder because the, the, the word um, sulam, ladder, has a lot of different meanings if we look at it from the gematria le- level. Okay? 
It says the, the, the gematria of this word is 130, is equal to that of the phrase, Zekisei HaKavod. This refers to the throne of glory. And also, uh, the, the sulam, a ladder, the gematria, sulam, if you add in the vav, which you can do that because the vav represents a vowel in this case, so that increases the, the value to 136. It's, it is equal to that of kol, sound, or voice. So it says here, for the sound of the prayers of the righteous serve as a ladder upon which the angels may ascend. So that's a very interesting insight, isn't it? That um, as we pray, that our... I want you to think about that for a moment. What I just read is very, very astounding. That our prayer, the voice of our prayer, acts as a ladder upon which angels may ascend and descend. How important is our conversation of prayer then? I mean, we know it's important, right? But this provides just another layer uh, to that aspect. That really when we're praying, we're allowing, we're creating, if you will, a spiritual ladder upon which angels may descend and ascend to bring blessing down to the earth. It says, a ladder, sulam, the gematria 136, is equal also to that of money, mamon, and of poverty, Equal to two equal uh, numbers. That says, for as it is stated regarding wealth, he lowers this one and he raises that one. Psalms 75 and verse 8. Sulam, ladder. This word is, has the same letters as semel, idol. For God showed Jacob a prophecy of his offspring um, would be worshiping idols. We have more gematria here from, from Bahaturim. When we take in the, the words previous, Vehine Sulam, and behold a ladder, the gematria of this phrase is 196, is equal to that of Vekates and the end. For God showed Jacob the appointed time for the end of the exiles. The gematria of ladder without the Vav, again, is 130. It's equal to that of Sinai. That is Mount Sinai. Most people pronounce it that way. For God showed Jacob the Israelites standing of Mount Sinai. What does this teach us as well? What Mount the, the, the word ladder is equal to the word Sinai. What is Sinai known for? What is it associated with? And the answer is it's associated with the Torah, with the law of Moses, the law of God. What does this mean? It means that when we follow the Torah, when we utilize the Torah, when we use the Torah, when we obey the Torah, we create a ladder of blessing. We we create a divine ladder upon which the angels may ascend and descend uh, to the earth to bring blessing. It says, Sulam Mutzav, a ladder standing. The gematria of Sulam Mutzav is 268, is equal to that of Mekavol, his chariot. That's, that's beautiful, isn't it? His chariot. So it's the gematria of Ahine Selam. This is one more uh on this particular uh, topic. Vehine Sulam and behold a ladder 196 is equivalent also to the gematria of the phrase Veze Mizbah Ha This refers to the altar of the Ola offering. 
The letters, and behold, angels can <clears throat> be arranged to spell, these are the Kohanim, for it is they who ascend and descend the ramp of the altars. Very interesting. All that gematria and the various meanings that it brings to uh, our understanding of this incident where he sees the ladder. It's very, a lot of very deep things going on with Jacob and the ladder. Let's see what the, Rabbi Monk would have to say. Turn over here to a couple more insights that we have. It says in our, in our reading that he went to the well. The well represents something very interesting. He's talking here about, this is an insight to the, the mission once again. This is from um, Rabbi Monk's comments to uh, chapter 28 and verse uh, 17. It says, Jacob's first reaction to his dream was spontaneous. It says, it's right here, not in the celestial heights, that God is to be found. Very interesting. We're talking about finding holy sparks and what God has called us to do. <clears throat> it says, it's right here, not in the celestial heights, that God is to be found. It says he's to be found wherever a guiltless man finds repose and peace. Divine glory is not to be sought in the heavens. Its place is in the lives of human beings. That's where divine glory is to be found, in the lives of human beings. We're to live life not as monks, as I've been talking about for the last couple of days, because that's been uh, the, the, the subject matter, but to be people who are searching for holy sparks in a very mundane world. It says, Jacob experience, experience concern at the idea that mortal man is called to be the bearer of divine majesty. I mean, think about how ri ridiculous that sounds, that we, our mortal being, is to be the bearer of divine majesty. It seems like an impossible task. So he says, he realized the extent and gravity of the task awaiting whoever prepares to build a home where God is to dwell, a home which is to become a gate to heaven by bringing the earthly and the heavenly spheres closer together. This is a common theme in, within Judaism, is that our mission is to build and create a home for God. Now, what does that mean to, to build a home for God? Well, this, brings, this adds another layer to it because it says when we create a home for God, we are literally creating a gate to heaven. Now, now, a home can be literal, like your home <clears throat> being a home for the divine presence. But it also can be figurative that our very lives... In, in, in our very lives, in our, in our, our relationships, in our very being of, of who we are, we create in our life a home for God. And as a result, in creating a home for God, we are creating a gate to heaven. In other words, my friends, that you... And I, when we live for God and we follow His Torah and we, we tap into Hashem's um, divinity, if you will, 
we create that ladder for people. We create that mechanism, that spiritual mechanism, if you will, that can bring blessing into the earth. This is why I constantly encourage people that your living for Hashem, your living for Hashem is deeply impactful. This is why I say it's, it, we have to constantly remember that our mitzvah, our, our, that what we're doing here as Lapid Jews, let me put it this way. As I constantly say, it's not about us. And one of the most challenging things that happens for people is when we get into our spiritual lives and we get totally self-centered. That leads to all kinds of bad things. We have to understand that what God is calling us to is for the greater good. You and I will be most fulfilled in our lives when we understand that what we're doing is for others. Now, naturally, living for God and keeping the mitzvahs and so on is going to bring down tremendous blessing in your life. Absolutely. And there's a whole conversation we can have about that. But I just want to stay focused on the importance of the mission here. That it's so important to understand that, um, that we, our life, mission, what we're doing for God is about being able to save others. This is the message that, that uh, Jacob understood, that he was going to go through some difficulties. He was going to be living in, a, in an area that was not uh, Jew-friendly, but he was there because he needed to find some holy sparks in order to complete the mission. Now, I want to kind of uh, take a drive-by here and share something from Pituka Hotam. This is just a very intriguing insight here from um, chapter 28, where it says, Yaakov awoke from his sleep and said, Surely Adonai is present in this place, and I did not know. And he became frightened and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of the heavens. This is the gate of the heavens. So it's very interesting what Piduke Hotam here says, because we have um, the concept through vis-a-vis the Messiah, that the Messiah, who is the divine image of Hashem, the Torah, made flesh, the Shekinah of God, right? That he had came and he suffered for our sins. Now, that's exactly what Messiah ben Yosef is supposed to do in Jewish literature, and Jewish thought, okay? So, most people, I say most people, anti-missionaries, most Jewish people who don't yet realize that Yeshua is the Messiah have been taught to believe that that's an absurdity. They've been taught to believe that the idea that anyone would suffer for our sins is absurd, and most especially the divine presence, the, the image of God or whatever you want to say, that that's absurd, that that would, that would never happen. It's so crazy. It's so, uh, it's, it's, it's so idolatrous to think that, right? Right. And then, then we have Pituke Hotem, 
who says Yaakov awoke from his sleep. Why? He says the Zadik rises at midnight. Why? To mourn over the exile of the Shekinah. And said, surely Adonai is present in this place. Upon arising, he says, due to our many sins, the Shekinah is exiled to this place. And he says, and I did not know. And he says, I am not behaving as I should for the sake of the Shekinah's exile. It is suffering greatly because of our many sins. And although I'm aware of this pain, it is as, as if I did not know, for I'm not behaving as I should. This is a very, very important insight here because it gives us a very critical precedent. And that is that the Shekinah of God, that's the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, suffers for our sin and suffers in exile for us. And then when it talks about I did not know, it means that I'm not living as I should in order to alleviate the suffering of the Shekinah as it is. You know, there's an allusion to this in the letter to the Hebrews where it talks about that if we're not living properly for God, <clears throat> then we're causing the suffering uh, to continue as it were. We're trampling grace underfoot. Sometimes it's put that way. The point being is that Mashiach died for us so that we could live for God. And if, if we don't do that, then we're bringing greater shame, greater suffering to the Shekinah. But the bigger point I wanted to make is that the Shekinah itself, there's a precedent for the Shekinah suffering because of our sin. Now, um, let's see. I want to share this other insight here. I'm trying to decide which way to go. Going back to yesterday's Aliyah, there's just another great insight I think that is going to provide us some uh, interesting uh, clarity here. Verses uh, 20 and 21, it says, Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will protect me on this journey that I'm undertaking and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, and I return to my father's house untainted, and if God will be my God, and he goes on to say that he's going to give him the tithe and so on. This is what it says here in the Kehot Tumash. It says, we transform the world into God's home in two ways. Okay, Again, remember that our mission is to transform the world into God's home. See, many people have been taught, I just want to throw this out here. Many been, people have been taught that the goal of theology, the goal of a, a spiritual life, is to prepare to leave the world. To just live a moral and righteous life and just be prepared on the day you die to go into heaven. That's, the, that's, that's understood to be the goal. But that's not the goal biblically. The goal is not to just have faith, make a confession so that when you die you go to heaven. That's not the goal. The goal is to be born again so that you can be a conduit of transformation a conduit, as we say in, he, in the Hebrew uh, lingo, tikkun olam, repairing the world. In other words, God wants you to be a mini-Mashiach in this generation, creating a home for God. So it says, we transform the, wor the world into God's home in two ways, by doing things that are intrinsically holy, 
such as studying the Torah and performing God's commandments, and by sanctifying mundane pursuits, such as eating or earning a living. In this verse, Jacob alludes to both these facets of religious life. Bread and clothing allude to the study of the Torah and the performance of God's commandments, respectively. When we study the Torah, we internalize God's wisdom, which then becomes part of us, just like food we eat, bread being the archetype of food stuff. Well, that brings up a whole other conversation about Yeshua being the bread from heaven and we have to eat of his flesh, quote unquote, etc. Anyway, but it says, becomes, it says, when we perform a commandment, we are enveloped by the external transcendent feeling of inspiration, just like as a garment envelops and warms us. I will return to my father's house, alludes to our return to the domain of holiness after venturing temporarily into the mundane world. It says, as has been mentioned, Despite the intrinsic superiority of holy activities, elevating the mundane, elevating the mundane is of greater importance, for it brings God the greatest pleasure and hastens the advent of the messianic era. Listen to this. This is so important. We have here, as has been mentioned, that it writes, despite the intrinsic superiority of holy activities like study and prayer and so on elevating the mundane is of greater importance why for it brings god the greatest pleasure and hastens the advent of the messianic era this is my friends what we're talking about when gathering holy sparks the most important thing that we can do the holiest activity we can accomplish in our life serving god is to elevate the mundane. And the most mundane thing we can elevate is the human heart. What brings God the most joy and the most pleasure of all? <clears throat> and of course, Yeshua talked about this. More angels rejoice in heaven over a single soul who's brought to the kingdom than anything else. Our highest work is to bring others into a knowledge of the Most High God. May Hashem help us in that work. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray that I will be with you tomorrow, Bezrat Hashem, for the third reading. And uh, until then, may you have a blessed, wonderful, and amazing day. Thank you again for joining us. And we'll plan to see everybody tomorrow. Shalom and blessings.